yes, I do think the conversations we're having have raised awareness that have led to showing up differently in the world. What do you think? I just have to say it would be very white supremacy culture to to rate ourselves on a Likert scale of one to five. <laughs> that would be uh, um, right. Collect some. We need to collect some data. Welcome to season two of the 3 to 10 project. Two white cisgender males who have been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our identities with our experience, as well as what we are reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. The 3 to 10 project reflects our long-term commitment, three to 10 years of working together to build community and culture, inspired by author Resma Menicum. You can learn more about Resma and find a link to the podcast that inspired us on our website. I'm Mark. I'm Reed. This season, we're framing each episode around an essential question. Sometimes we may uncover answers, Usually we'll end up with even more questions. And as we move to hold ourselves accountable, we'll wrap up every discussion by setting specific intentions for action. How will we be moved to act and what will we do? This is season two, episode five, entitled, Is Thinking Enough? Recorded on January 30th, 2022. We reference a number of resources in this episode. Stick around for the credits for details on how to access those if you wanna dig deeper. Here we go. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning. We've done many of these where you're jogging, but you are not jogging. You are stationary today. Yep. And I got the fancy headphones on, so it should be crystal clear. All right. Is is the lack of movement going to affect your, your cognitive <laughs> engagement? We'll see. We'll see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, we just had this big blizzard, right? I am going to try to run a long run in the middle of the day. Once the sun comes up, gets things uh, going a little bit out here. But um excited to focus and yeah, I can be still and, and talk as well. That's good. All right. Well, let's just start out, you know, our last two conversations we actually were listening with. Um, my wife, Joanna, and a couple of her colleagues. And at the end of that second conversation, following that conversation, I really got thinking about the role of gender a little bit more than I had been. And I said I was going to try to talk to some of the female uh, school leaders that I work with just to bring up the, the topic of how much they think gender is impacting their work or their ways that I could help them or be a support in my role uh, as sort of a consultant as I work with them and, and also whether gender was sort of showing up, did they think as they were talking and trying to lead some work around race, one person in particular. And what, what made me realize is like, these are things I should probably bring up more often. Um, so I had conversations with at least three different women that I have longstanding relationships with. 
And it's just interesting. I've worked with them for years and just haven't explicitly had a conversation about how they're functioning in an organization. You know, they're in the minority in terms of female leaders in their schools and districts. And so, I mean, I won't get into details there, but it opened a door to me thinking about other ways that I need to be looking at the work that's going on between the people I'm working with and some of the dynamics there. So probably a lot more work for me to do and more conversations to have, but it was a, I'm glad it prompted me to start in on some of that. Nice. Do you want to share just one thing you noticed or that you found out that was. Well, I'll say one thing. Yeah. Yeah. One thing is talking to a couple of people that work in the same organization have really different perspectives. You know, one woman thinking there are some real barriers, right? As a woman, me trying to work uh, in this organization and another woman saying like, oh, no, it's not. There's there's nothing there. I mean, I and, and saying like, oh, I've been in other places where that has been harder for me as a woman. But here, uh, um, no issues, you know, so that's like, well, you know, I guess it just shows people are complex in the way they navigate things is. Um, but it was unexpected to me to get such two differing views from people that kind of work closely together um, with and, and work with the same mix of colleagues. How about you? Uh, well, I was going to work on kind of noticing power dynamics in especially in my workplace. Yeah. So, I mean, there's been a ton of stuff going on. I mean, we've done some very real tangible work around shared leadership um, in very specific ways as a group. I guess maybe the biggest thing or, or, or a thing that I've really noticed is about mental models. It's like, what do I think is going on? What do I think, you know, what is the model for how I think things are happening or should happen? And needing to constantly remind myself that regardless of how enlightened, let's say, I believe that any specific mental model is that I am holding, that doesn't mean anyone else is holding that model. And being open to other mental models is really important. Even if, you know, I think even when at first glance, they seem like they actually reinforce power dynamics. It's this kind of interesting contradiction or kind of paradox that I've found lately of kind of holding my own mental model that I believe is directed towards more shared power, but recognizing that the more that I hold that model, if other people aren't, it actually reinforces a power dynamic. I don't know if that makes any sense. Well, I think this idea of mental models is going to lead right into what I think we're going to talk about today. But can you say, what do you mean mental model? Like, can you give me an example? 
when I think about mental model, I should uh, I should have a good definition at the right at the tip of my tongue. Um, maybe I should look one up real quick about that. Uh, hold on a second. I'm going to look it up sure. and then I'm going to give you an example. Great. Um, hold on. Um, how about this? I'll read just a quick quote. The core task of the discipline of mental models is bringing tacit assumptions and attitudes to the surface so people can explore and talk about their differences and misunderstandings with minimal defensiveness. And I think this is the idea that we all have um, a set of assumptions we're working with at any given time when we're interacting with others. And that often we don't recognize that our assumptions are different than other people's. So as a very specific example, in our workplace, we're working right now on determining uh, new compensation structures for our team. And this is hard because, um, you know, it's a small team of five people trying to figure out how best to uh, do compensation and benefits collectively without any one person being in charge of the, you know, what's going to happen. So it's a real kind of shared leadership process in this case, or collaborative. And, um, you know, here's an example of where I've seen my mental model kind of fall short. I've had this model, mental model or assumption, set of assumptions that we're going into this process with kind of everything open, uh, everything on the table that we could potentially change. So, you know, with this really, what I'm thinking of is this really open mindset. Of let's not be held back by any constraints. Let's really reimagine what compensation benefits can look like in a way that makes us all feel good at the end and feel valued and feel um, that we can live within the new structure. And in that process, what I was not understanding was even that openness is kind of um, coming from a space of privilege. And when you are in the feeling less power, have less power, the idea of having a, you know, anything goes type of approach feels hard. It feels um, you could be taken advantage of, you might not get what matters to you, um, that creating some sense of certainty and a little more boundaries in the discussion allows for more Safety and clarity, coming from a position of power, holding a, a certain amount of uncertainty feels relatively easy. Coming from a position with less power, holding uncertainty becomes more challenging. And um, that, that is kind of a new thought for me of, wow, I thought, you know, of course, we just want to open everything up. And that, that shares power with everyone, but in fact, it can create um, a sense of uh, uh, discomfort for people who are not feeling that they have equal power. 
what was the book you were quoting from there? Where did that mental model quote that you just uh, that's, pulled? That's schools that learn, which is a fifth discipline primer. That's the fifth discipline book that's specifically written for people that work in schools. And that's Peter Senge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, he didn't write the, yeah, it's a, you know, more of a compilation of stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. Just as we continue on here, I mean, that shorthand that you mentioned about a mental model as a set of assumptions, mm-hmm. that is an interesting way for me. Like I, now I understand that I think, or at least I understand that particular angle on a mental model. And I think then if we start to say, okay, what are the assumptions I'm bringing right now? What might be the assumptions other people have? Where do those line up? What are they not? Right. Like then that seems to me like a useful uh, <clears throat> mnemonic to kind of hold on to as I'm, as I'm entering a conversation, maybe even as we're entering this one. So yep. interesting. Yeah. So let's shift to kind of what we're going to talk about today. So we had the opportunity. Uh, we actually saw a couple good friends a couple weeks ago where folks uh, pandemic be damned got together to celebrate my birthday, which I greatly appreciate. Uh, it was certainly a birthday celebration like I've never had before. And in that process, you know, we were able to have a number of conversations, including with our uh, most loyal listener, <laughs> the guy that was listening to this before anybody else was when we first started to experiment. Um, and following up on that, there was a email back and forth between uh, you and this friend of ours, uh, that kind of an email string that I happen to be CC'd on uh, that started from um, him referencing an Atlantic article, which I can link on the website if people want to see what that is. Um, but I guess what I'd like to just know is you had a back and forth. Um, and so maybe you can just kind of talk about like what you two were talking about and how that's making you think maybe about mental models that, you know, we may have indifference or kind of how you responded uh, to this person that we've known for over 25 years and the back and forth you two were having really about race and identity and liberation and a number of kind of issues were being thrown out there on the table and you're back and forth. Yeah. There were two things that kind of came out of, of it. Um, maybe at least two. Uh, sometimes I think about the idea of liberation as something to, um, you know, strive for in some way. And we can talk about kind of what that means. And liberation was mentioned in the article. So I asked um, our listener, you know, what does liberation mean to you? And um, I also referenced the white supremacy culture characteristics because those were mentioned in the book, in the article as well. And what I thought I was asking, so getting into mental models, (laughs) was I was um, trying to elicit kind of personal response of what does he think about liberation? What does liberation mean to him? And um, on a separate note, kind of just like, you know, what her what is his understanding around the white supremacy culture characteristics? Maybe that was less of a question, but let's go to the liberation uh, piece. And his response was just what I, 
I interpret it as really just intellectualizing the argument in the article and even on a second pass, hey, what does this mean to you? Still couldn't get an answer from him that kind of met my expectation of what I was going for. Like, how do you, how do you, you personally think about this? Um, and even on that second pass, it was like talking about others. So first pass was more what the author was talking about, I think more or less. And the second pass was what other people in the world would think about it, but never what he would think about it. And um, I think you asked me to listen to a podcast that was came out this summer originally. It was re released from uh, Code Switch that talked about kind of where the initial momentum around Black Lives Matter and how that shifted, uh, you know, now more than a year after the murder of George Floyd and kind of tying these things together of where are people at where, and maybe it's mostly like, where are we at? And we don't need to kind of harp on our listener, but um, yeah, like where, where are we at in terms of making decisions about, or, or taking action? You know, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, what do you think about all that? One thing that strikes me is that he initiated the conversation and is clearly, you know, listens to our podcast for what it's worth, but does a lot of reading um, and listening. So that we can say is sort of an intellectual exercise. But in terms of wanting to engage, I mean, he was engaging, right? In a, in a particular way. What I hear you saying is you wanted the engagement to be sort of personalized and to feel less intellectual. and. I'm not, I mean, part of it is I just think that's kind of the way he maybe sees the world a little bit. Like, I'm not sure that, you know, more, I mean, what do you want? Like more I statements? Um, like, yeah. I, yeah. you know, I I, I, I think, no, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, let me just jump in there. I think that's a good point you're bringing up. And here's, a, here's where I'm thinking back, this is going to sound harsh and like, you know, we can kind of see where this goes. So I'm going to just be as transparent as possible. I think in that code switch article, it's, it l- literally references the, hey, go to the bookstore, get all the books, read all the books type of uh, activism. That's basically saying that's okay, good. Yeah, that's nothing. Like right. it's not nothing, but like that's not what is going to bring about change. Yeah, I would just want to say like there was a great, there was something like, you know, so much of this white activism starts at the bookshelf and ends on the couch. <laughs> right. It was, right. It, was, it was something like the line. Yeah. Right. So, you know, on, on the surface, here we go. We have, you know, someone that's reading, thinking, um, engaging in writing with um, a podcast, you know, podcasters. But when asked to do the work, even do the not just the do work in his own head of what does this mean for you? It became an intellectual exercise. And um, 
so I, what I wonder is like, well, how does that impact that this, if we're going to move past the bookshelf and the couch, it requires people to do the work inside, not just the intellectualizing, but the kind of the bringing awareness to personal attitudes, thoughts, um, and then bringing it outside, like, you know, taking a step towards something else. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, what's it's really the couch and the bookshelf. And the podcast episode of Code Switch. I mean, I think that's the crux of the matter is saying that this is, you know, we don't have it's not about a judgment of like right or wrong, but this is the reality of the way the vast majority of white people, even who are sympathetic, because they talked about sympathy, white sympathy, white guilt, who are sympathetic towards the plight of people of color, right? The, the, the context that people of color are living in America um, still uh, really have a hard time maybe moving beyond that intellectual argument. So we shouldn't be surprised at that. And I think what it makes me think about is why, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to do this was for you and I, I think, to engage with each other, to try to, to push at and do some of that work on the inside. But we've also been challenging each other to do work on the outside, right? right. So I'm, you know, I've actually gotten involved in some local politics in a way I never have been before. And that might not have happened without this. So that's good. But the remember, if we go all the way back to sort of the loose inspiration for the name of the podcast, uh, which came from a paraphrasing of Resma Medicum's challenge to white people to come together in community yeah. for a while, for three to 10 years. So we're trying to do that. And we're already bumping up against the challenge of doing that with the person who was the first one to even listen to what we're saying. Yep. So, yeah, that's a good point. I, so the three to 10, right? Let's, let's talk about what, what we think that means. I think it means engaging with other white people. Yes. And, but what does that mean? Like, what is it? What, do, what was the expectation that, you know, he was expressing, you know, what was the mental model Resma had uh, that, you know, and what he was talking about? I don't think he was talking about intellectualizing arguments that other people are making and making counter arguments. I don't think that's it. <laughs> I don't think it's like, oh, I read this and this is what I took from it. These are the questions I came up for me. This is how, this is what I think was maybe problematic about what that person said or wrote um, and then asking some questions. That That's, we, that's college work. That's like, you know, it's like we're back in college doing, you know, like I said, intellectualizing as opposed to, you know, getting into what's going on for you as a white person right now, given what's going on in the world, given your, your interactions and so on. And I think, you know, I, I, I obviously don't know Resma. I know he talks a lot about the body, about somatic experience, like how are you experiencing things, connecting those experiences with the world and others. 
And I just don't think where what he was going for was have a bunch of intellectual conversations and uh, for three to 10 years and you'll be good. I think he was saying, start doing the work of challenging your mental models with other white people and then go out into the world with the new and evolving understandings that you have. And are we doing that? You know, we could look at someone else and say, boy, his mental model, his assumptions about kind of how to approach this, um, you know, are haven't haven't changed a bit. Well, have your assumptions changed? Have my assumptions changed? How have our mental models changed over the year and a half that we've been specifically focused on these conversations? Have they? Do we know if they have? Well, I'll ju- I can't speak for you. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> so, uh, or maybe I could see. I, and actually I can think I speak, I can speak for you um, too, because I've been paying attention to what you've been saying and what you've been doing. So unless you're making stuff up about what you're doing, um, I think absolutely uh, we've been doing the work of challenging uh, what we, our assumptions, our mental models, and then exploring what it means to go into the world with those um, new insights and new understandings. Yeah, I I think so. I I think we've been especially able to do that. And maybe it's, you know, we have opportunities to do that in our work lives, but also I think in our community lives as well. Um, Yeah. So I would say, yeah, I mean, I can point to specific examples for both of us. I'm not You know, whether we should rate that as like, how much do we do? Do we do enough? Do we do too little? Let's leave that alone for the moment and and just say, yes, I do think the conversations we're having have raised awareness that have led to showing up differently in the world. What do you think? I just have to say it would be very white supremacy culture to to rate ourselves on a Likert scale of one to five. <laughs> that would be uh, um, right. Collect some, we need to collect some data. Um, no, I agree. I mean, I want to believe that. I want to believe that I have been, you know, I'm seeing the world in, in new and rich ways. And, and I, I think that's true. And it's hard you know, sometimes these conversations are challenging and based on some of the things our friend said in his email, like he might challenge and say, this isn't a good thing, but these conversations are one of the pieces that have really made me see my interactions with other people in different ways. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, I see it all the time in my, in my work within my organization. I see it um, you know, with people outside of the organization, um, you know, even a bit with my family, um, both my wider family, as well as, you know, my, my wife and my son, what does it mean to expand our community and to be doing this in community to some extent with other white people? I think the fact that we're still in pandemic, the fact that we're, it's harder to get together, like that makes, you know, Resma's Uh, charge challenging because he really talks about physically being together, right? We're we're not able to do that very well, but I think that I don't feel like my community of white men specifically is, is very broad. It's, it's not, I'm not sure that beyond you and I, there is 
much of a community there. And I'm not, and sometimes I feel like, man, if that's not who we're pulling into this, um, either, either structurally, like as part of the podcast or just in my life, right? How am yeah. I reaching out and being in community with other white men who it seems to me have a lot of work to do, then that seems like lost opportunity uh, for my own growth and, and to be engaging with others. I have a couple of thoughts about that. Number one, at least from my point of view, having these conversations in the podcast is not about others. It's about me and you. And um, any byproduct that comes out of that with others is great. But the, the, to be frank, the podcast is a structure that create or is a mechanism that creates structure for conversations and, and um, reflection that you know, that I find helpful personally. And so I, I just want to be clear on that. Uh, any, anything that comes out of that is gravy, you know, anything else. But I do think that, you know, this might be the, you know, the place to leave, like, what do you, what are our plans, you know, over the next weeks between podcasts? And it sounds like your plan is to see who in your uh, you know, community, uh, whatever that means, that could be very broad or narrow. You can engage with that's a white male in a different way, or or just even begin to engage with, and maybe that's the work for you in this next time period. Seems like a reasonable thing to consider. Yeah. And, and I and I just want to say, like, I there's something coming up for me, and I'm just going to name it again. That's going to kind of sound harsh, but no, you know, I think engaging, yeah, like who to engage with, and then what level. I think there's a question of you know the readiness, um, and willingness for people, like starting with people that seem to have some energy and interest in engaging and a willingness to um, be vulnerable. And that, that is what I think is um, was challenging for me over the weekend um, in, in kind of the email exchanges with our listener is a lack of personal vulnerability. And that was, that was offered. And I, don't, I think without personal vulnerability, growth is very hard. And so um, I just want to name that and uh, do some reflection on that myself. Like where, where is my vulnerability in, in the interactions I'm involved in? But I, I'm wondering how it lands with you to focus on your community and who you might be able to begin engaging with differently than you have been, you know, white men. Yeah, that's a good push for me and it's funny like i'm scrolling through my mental rolodex um i think the reality is these are not easy conversations to have and i only have a few people that i consider close friends which seems like the easy place to start on this and i've you know had i mean our our <clears throat> 
listener that we're talking about is one of them. Um, so it's going to be a good challenge for me. And I've got this, I'm, I'm saying right now in terms of moving forward, I mean, my intention is to think about who might I engage with, particularly who, which other men. Um, and I think that's forcing me to kind of think about outside of like this very tight core of a couple people. Um, yeah. And, and that's good because I sometimes just don't go, you know, that's the natural thing not to go there very much with, with other people. Um, so that does feel, it feels good and challenging and we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll see what conversations I have um, between now and when we talk again. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you have access to a lot of white men. <laughs> they and are all so, over the place i will say <laughs> i mean we're given your work and your geographic location so you know thinking about i i, I will encourage you to do more than thinking yeah. and actually you maybe, always encourage me to do more than thinking maybe probe probe a little bit with some people um you got anything for me to do or i gotta come up with something yeah, I think I don't know what's what's on your mind. I can only handle my own stuff, Mark. What, <laughs> I can't give assignments out here. What? Yeah, you know, this seems maybe a little letting myself off the hook a little bit, but it does seem relevant and important. Which is, um, yeah, I'm going to stick with this kind of mental model piece. Is like going back to power and recognizing, yeah, like really exploring this idea that giving up power is a privilege of itself. And in a space where I am trying to give up power, like that's my intention, recognizing that that move doesn't necessarily feel good, even to people that have or I've had less power because it creates, um, yeah, it's a privilege to, to do that in the first place. And um, this is not, a, I would not have anticipated or understood that um, a couple months ago. And I need to think about how to be with others in this place of shared power in a way that doesn't keep just privileging my my position of coming with a lot of power in the first place there's the growth we're talking about right seeing things in new ways yeah. breaking down your assumptions right new mental models so all right well this has been in you know when we started this conversation before we even started it we were a little you know this is this is hard because we're we're talking about other people that we know well. And I really felt like, no, that's why we're talking like you and I need to talk about this. And um, so thank you for that conversation and um, giving me a lot to think about as we move forward here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll call you when I'm running later today, just so you have that experience of talking <laughs> while I'm running just a little bit. Um, <laughs> get out there and finish your snow blowing. Oh boy. There's a lot to do. Yeah. I, that'll be my exercise for the day. Just trying to get the car out of the driveway. So, but right. be safe on that run. Yeah, I will.
All right. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the 3 to 10 Project. You can find all episodes on our website and through a number of streaming apps, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. Some notes on the resources we referenced in this episode. Mark's source for talking about mental models is a book called Schools That Learn by Peter Senge and others. The article that our friend first forwarded to us, beginning his email exchange with Mark, was entitled Saving Classics from Identity Politics by Thomas Chatterton Williams. That was published in The Atlantic on January 14, 2022. Mark referenced an overview of white supremacy culture that originally was created by Kenneth Jones and Tima Okun. It's available pretty widely on the internet. And finally, we also referenced yet another episode of one of my favorite podcasts, Code Switch. The episode broadcast on January 12th, 2022 was entitled, They Came, They Saw, They Reckoned. I certainly recommend it. Do you have a question you want us to wrestle with? Do you want to take issue with what we shared today or offer a counter view? We'd love to hear from you. You can email Reed directly at reeddyer1, that's the numeral one, at gmail.com. And if you think these conversations could be valuable to others, please pass the podcast link along. Finally, thanks as always to Random Chiz for our season two theme music.